Welcome to Coming from Left Field, where we have conversations about politics, books, and current events with your host, Greg Gottles and Pat Cummings. Three years ago, in 2020, the world was a dumpster fire. George Floyd was killed, COVID was wreaking a global genocide, everyone was in lockdown, and Trump lost the election but had no intentions of conceding. But the worst thing that happened was my father-in-law, Chuck Holmes, died. At the funeral, I met Greg. We hit it off, corresponded, shared books, and connected with Zoom meetings. From the ashes rise the phoenix. We decided to start a podcast coming from left field. Let's discuss. Greg, how you doing? Hey, Pat, how are you? We are, we are, we are gathered here. This is going to be good. <laughs> hey, Something uh, different. We've been we've both been really busy lately, uh, both caring for elderly people, you, your sister and me, my mother-in-law and and haven't had a podcast in a while. And I thought, let's just it's been almost three years since we had our since we had our podcast uh, since our podcast started. And looking back at all of the guests we've had, 69, 68 guests where this is podcast 69. Amazing. I, I thought let's just let's just chat about how um what we think about the podcast, where we've been, where we're going, what we like about it, where we disagree, and uh, maybe end up with some general general politics after that. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, do you remember our very first podcast? Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yes, how democracies die. Okay, contentious from the beginning. Okay, Probably so the most I, contentious of all of our broadcasts, but I I love it because it exemplifies I think some of our foundational differences in how we view the world. So let's let's do a quick summary of the book. It's it's two academics who looked at democracies that failed and what did they have in common that make made them fail, and it's it's things like. Um, Having lack of deference in political um, in in a political dialogue, uh, losing institutions, it's kind of a precursor to Trump. Um, let's see what I no, what it's I a postcursor. It's a postcursor. That's what I object to it so much. Is it? It's written uh, around Trumpism. So let's come up with a theory. Let's create a theory for the masses of how we got here based upon our liberal presumptions okay and that's what I, that's what i rejected from the get-go with that that book and also it's academics and there's a certain patronizing tone to the whole book in my view looks down your nose at the rest of us and says look we we examined all these failed democracies they don't even define democracy in any accurate or interesting way and then they come up with some superficial uh, answers that just happen to fit our moment in their own minds so there you go. I thought the book was fantastic. I thought it was great. Why? I thought it laid, it, laid everything out. Well, and, and as I as as we discussed that book, one of your your issues was, but look look a little deeper. I'm not sure we really have a democracy. I'm not sure that we are uh, functioning uh, politically correct. We're we're desperately trying to save this institution. I'm not sure this institution is worth saving. And that's kind of your spin on a on a lot of things. You look a little bit deeper, 
than the kind of the the surface area. And um, anyway, that's it. Do you, well, do you, you know uh, what I what I what I really reject is uh, exploiting the fact that all of us took civics in high school, and you they give us a a high school civics concept of our democracy, just the way it's taught you as a kid, which is essentially a loyalty program. I mean, forget about it. It's not historical. It doesn't have a uh, two sides or three sides or four sides or the disputes that created this country, the existing differences, class differences, social differences, and so on. It, it is a simplification designed to make you loyal. Right. And they take right. that and they say, that's our democracy. And they know better. I mean, that's probably what I resent is they're academics. They've been educated. They certainly know better. It's not that simple. But right. then they present this little... Uh, little handbook on on how we're going to save ourselves from trumpism right well right. that's not that's not the way the world works right right and we're going to get trump again i mean if you think about it we're going to get trump again i mean today's right. news is that all the young people have turned against biden because of of the uh the war on the palestinians well, look at the um, related to that topic. Look what happened in Argentina when they interviewed all of the people who put that kind of Trump guy in in Argentina. And they said, I disagree with his opinion on the environment. I disagree with his opinion on gays. I, But I'm so pissed off that I've just I, I've had it. And I think we're kind of at that at that phase being so pissed off we've had it. And so, well, you know. use a metaphor. I mean, it's like a kid that's been living at home and been been tortured by their parents i mean metaphorically figuratively and 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 they want to get away and and they're just fed up with hearing the same old thing and doing the same old thing and your life is planned by your parents and you want to get away and then like our two prince princeton uh, academics you're lectured on how good you have it this is how good you have it well people don't feel like they have it good in argentina they don't feel like they have it good in this country they don't feel like they have it good in the UK or in Germany or in Serbia today. They had the latest election results. So instead of drawing drawing your science from that, what do these countries have in common? What they have in common is they're pissed off. And go and find out why they're pissed off. Don't defend, you know, the uh, the mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. For the way they raise their children. Hey, let's talk about how we started our podcast. We, my father-in-law, Chuck Holmes, who's um, married to your sister, um, died in May or so, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic three years ago. And uh, Paul, Paul and I made a pilgrimage back to central Illinois from Washington. We, we drove our van, our, I mean, our trailer, because we were so nervous about flying with the pandemic. It was the middle of the pandemic and uh we had a chance to spend i don't know three four days there and golly i i enjoyed your company and i we enjoyed likewise, chatting likewise. and um i remember i had never met you uh, because i don't think you wanted to kind of come when i was around with with our my father-in-law who was very nice man lovely fellow but really kind of foundationally a 
John Bircher. Uh, is that too harsh? Uh, he was <laughs> he, he's very conservative, you know, well, very. He, he, yeah, he might have been might have been beyond Trump. I'm not sure. I, it, but I, here's, I think let so. me tell let me tell you let me tell a funny story about you because you were persistent in sending him books, which which had a at least a centrist or slightly left wing slant to it to try to get him to think right beyond that little bubble that he lived in and i would get there and there would be the books unread and he'd try to give them to me because he wasn't reading them so i i did get some of your books uh through through uh through chuck but uh yeah he was he was politically kind of a neanderthal i know that was uh that was interesting and he 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 commented once. He said uh, you were, um, you know, very, 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 very liberal. I asked him about you, and and he said, well, you know, Greg is a communist. And I thought, well, that's an you know interesting. Everybody's a communist, according to Chuck. He's so right wing. And on the plane ride home from one of my visits, uh, I Googled your name, and lo and behold, you are a prolific author for Marxist Leninist Today, and you are very much of a kind of an academic and related to that whole that whole era era of 1930s beyond. And I read, I remember reading an article you wrote about Coltrane and some other things, and just really kind of fell in love with you and how how much we had in common i felt we were extremely different but at least we could have good conversations yeah, and I think um, we represent i think we well represent the the left we call this this podcast it's important to note that it's called coming from left field where the presumption is that both of us are of the left but i think you're to the right of the left i mean in the in the left spectrum and i'm to the left of the left in the left spectrum so we can get along, we can talk to people, we can have guests on of different uh, views. I think all of our guests, you'd probably identify in a generic broad way as left. Right. We don't, we don't slip into the other folks, but they fit along that, that spectrum and we all get along and we're civil and, and uh, but we're passionate, we are impassioned and we differ. And right. I think that's, that's something the left would benefit from uh, doing more. Right. Well, I met your lovely daughter and her boyfriend at the at the funeral too. She's a social worker. I didn't meet your other daughter. Lives in um, North Carolina. Is that correct? North Carolina, yes. Uh -huh. North Carolina, and unfortunately, um, maybe four or five months after we met, your wife died. Yeah, had been sick for a while. In, yes, in August, and uh, Chuck died in May or June. Right. So they were they were very close together. Yeah, and you know we corresponded and called and this is pandemic time so we'd do zoom meetings and and we started to swap books and you read the books <laughs> and I, I, this is funny but this goes again to i think our differences i sent you the hillbilly elegy book by van or uh, whatever is jd well, stopped you before you sent it because i'd already read it or i'd already done a review i sent you the review i did of the book Right. And uh, it was a different spin. And sent me another book, which was a criticism, an academic criticism of how full of crap this guy was. And I read it. And I, you know, one thing I'll say about myself is that I have a, I have a tendency to kind of change my opinion. And I completely, I come, I completely changed my opinion and realized that I was, I was an idiot. 
for being um, uh, sucked into this uh, this story about this, you know, poor poor guy making it to, to Yale. And, you know, I, I didn't look at all of the other circumstances that surrounded his life that should, or should were more important were, were more important and and that's happened that's happened a, a, a couple of a couple of times so uh so in um in around december or so after sharing books and articles and i'm following your blog and so forth i said let's do a podcast and um you said i don't think i've ever listened to a podcast i i you know you want to do a podcast fine but i i don't know you know you well, write. You I, I must add. I must add, Pat, that you really kept it going because of your technical knowledge and your persistence, and your your willingness to do, willingness to do a lot of the uh, the the shit work that is necessary to keep something like this going. Right. Right. I've been a kind of a, a free rider in some ways. I feel guilty about it, but it's a tribute to your uh, your acumen and your and your your drive that you've kept this going, and it's grown. I mean, it's. Right, it's really grown smartly. Um, yeah, so it has a decent following now, and and you'll you know, you'll I'm, actually you you you'll do a YouTube video. You'll watch a lecture. You're not all uh, you know nose in the book. I mean, you've you've transformed a little bit, haven't you? Not really. Not, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I watched the video you sent me uh, a few days ago. I watched the first part of it. Well worth watching the first part of it, but I couldn't okay. watch the whole thing. Yeah, and Five I think the funniest the just... funniest thing is that I do a I do an um, I do a uh, video intro to all these things. Just try to you know I don't know they're not very good, but they're just trying to get that's part of what we've done from the beginning. And I remember mentioning this to you last year. I said, yeah, I did this you know intro or whatever, and. You you said I. What are you talking about? And I realized that you've never watched one of our podcasts, which I think is a testament to 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 you to you all. There, there you go. So that's it. So that was how democracies die. And then we did a couple of other books. We had your buddy um, Dan Kavalik on for many times, his many book times. on He's cancel back. culture, and then he did a series on the. Pink Tide in South Central America, and most recently went to Kosovo. I I love Dan. He's um well, he he just came back from uh, from Cairo. He was trying to get into Gaza with a group, and he never got in. But he may have got to the West Bank. I don't know. But he's back, and we ought to have him on again to talk about because there's no one else out there talking about being there or trying to be there uh, in a way. He he's he's the um, the uh, Jack uh, uh, Jack Reed of our time. Uh, he he giggles when I call him that. But John Reed was a guy that went to Russia during the Bolshevik Revolution and wrote the classic textbook on the scene. And he also did Insurgent Mexico, which was right on the scene of the Mexican Revolution. So Dan's a bit like Jack Reed. He tries to get wherever the action is, and uh, so he's always good to have. I mean, he can he can talk firsthand about stuff. Well, I, 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 I don't always agree with his take on these countries. For example, I think he's been to Iran and other places. He kind of overlooks the theocracy. I mean, if you're going to talk about Israel in a demonic way, that that's a problem. It's a problematic country because it's theocratic. Then you can't just ignore that Iran is a theocratic country. You've got to be consistent in that. You have you can't romanticize one theocracy and not the other. 
Right. So we have our differences, but in general, Dan's a great guy and he's a, a real humanist. I mean, he really cares about people deeply, profoundly. And he, li he lives close to you, right? Yeah, he lives, uh, he's moved to downtown Pittsburgh. I live in the East End, so we're 10 minutes, 15 minutes apart. Okay, so you can have a cup of coffee, glass of wine, have lunch. Lots and... of wine, yeah, lots of wine. That's what we, we do. Okay. That's our lubrication. Well, I... I uh... Our our other episode number four was Karl Marx, and I read a lot of Karl Marx I never had before. I read the Communist Manifesto and good portions of Das Kapital and all all the, you know, I I really grew to appreciate through multiple shows that we've talked about Karl Marx. What a Remarkable person he is and how much he has to say about what's going on right now. I'm glad that I was introduced to him. I, I he, yeah, he it was a caricature. A he went from caricature to truly a person that one should spend time studying. And yeah. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Well, two things. One, he's independent. I mean, he, he, he didn't have, he wasn't confined by an academic career. Problem with most academic Marxists is that they're confined by the pressures that come to produce in a particular way. To, you can step outside the mainstream, but not too far. Marx never had that, that, that uh, constriction. He was able to study and go where it, where it took him. Two, he was systematic. So he came up with a worldview that was not just a minutia, like most academics today, that, well, I'm a specialist in uh, uh, this small province of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Albania. No, no. Marx thought globally, he thought systemically, he thought about the way economics, sociology, psychology all fit together. So that's kind of a lost thing. And it's particularly lost in the United States. In Europe, it's still alive. There's still people looking for grand thinkers. But here, it's, it's, it's a very, very steep climb to introduce people to Marxism. It's a very, very steep climb to get them to think in a global way. I mean, I just, I just had an article that was I posted got one of the smallest uh, hits of anything I've written in a long time. It's a fairly long piece. I think it was quite good. It gets picked up in the UK with the largest circulation socialist-oriented newspaper in North America or, or UK. It, get, it gets picked up in Italy and translated. It gets picked up. But here, I think apart from uh, one website, nothing. And that's kind of typical in this country because people obviously are caught up now in Gaza, and they should be. But you, like Marx, you've got to be a bigger thinker than that. You've got to see how Gaza fits in. What's the connection between Gaza and the war in Ukraine? What's the connection between the two sides or the sides, the way they're shaping up? What's the rest of the world think about it? This would be Marxist thinking, but not in the United States. It's just a question of, my God, they're slaughtering people over there. Well, that, that's true, but that's not going to get you into something deeper, something with a more lasting effect. Right. Look at Occupy. There, where, what are the residuals of Occupy? Pat, I mean, you follow Occupy. What are the residuals? What did we gain from Occupy that we can say we made a step S forward? Slogans. I mean, there was what so did we gain from Black Lives Matter? What did what we gain from Bernie? What did we gain? That's That's part of the frustration, and I think that's my frustration where you too. get so pissed off about things is that it's one thing to talk it's another thing to actually organize and move people 
and uh, we're not doing that. You I know, try to finish my articles with, uh, you know, not a, not a program. I'm not. I don't make programs. I'm just a person. I'm not a political party, but at least something programmatic, something that says this is what we need. This is where we should go. This is what we should reject. But, in, but unfortunately, that's not really happening. As I mentioned to you earlier, we get these how articles, these how books, how the right twisted uh, Supreme Court, how the right twisted our educational system, how the right or, or vice versa, how the left uh, twisted it. Uh, they get you nowhere. They just get the authors popular and they make a lot of money. And that's right. as far as it goes. The other Marx book we did, we had uh, the last years of Marx. We both read the book by Mustaf, uh, Marcelo Musto, who was a uh, French yeah. academic, uh, um, really probably the most prominent uh, scholar on Marx. And we he wrote us a very nice letter back that uh, saying, I, I'm just, I can't really, you know, do your podcast, but thank you very much. So we ended up hooking up with a guy from, Midwest Marx, uh, Carlos Garrido, and he and Eddie uh, have, have a have a, a very good prod, uh, podcast in the Midwest uh, looking at, uh, they're both uh, are both philosophy major, philosophers, I guess. They're, you know, actively in school now or finishing up their PhD. And that's how we got to meet them. What do you think about Eddie and Carlos? Wasn't that a good well, find? It's exciting. I mean, it's exciting for me as an old coot to see uh, young people that are picking up on Marx. And it's generating a bunch of excitement. And they are generating a bunch of excitement, all to the good. I, I think they're they're really uh, positive. I think uh, where they're advantaged over other quote unquote young Marxist is that they they defer to some extent. They reach back into the past. They study some of their antecedents, some of the people that came before them. I think they need to study them a little more. They need to dig it a little deeper. Um, they need to 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 build a uh, they're building a following, but maybe too fast, maybe too quickly. They need to spend right. a little more time and dig in. But I'm very much impressed with them. They excite me. They're one of the developments that I think really encourage me going forward in, in, in and at a time when I'm not very encouraged about much. Did right. You like and you, them? we had Eddie Smith on, pardon me? Did you like their energy? I mean, I thought their energy I, 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 I watch their podcast all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And I always send them a couple of bucks. You know, they're, you know, Eddie Smith, uh, we had him on to discuss Michael Parenti's book, uh, Black Shirts. Yes. I think somehow you ended up saying that that was one of the best books that kind of introduced you to um your i don't know how, how it, you, it, you it, sent it, you sent it to me you sent it to me a long time ago i finally read it yeah. and just was blown away of how much i love michael Prenti. If, if you know i'm critical of many people i'm just critical of the two youngsters i think they're they're great but they're they're things they need to learn but if it comes to anyone I'm not critical of, and I absolutely uh, admire, unre unreservedly admire and appreciate the work he did, it's Michael Parenti, who I understand is on an, you know, on an age and not doing much work, but his entire opus outside of the university, he actually was my alma mater, my undergraduate alma mater, University of Illinois during the 60s, causing quite a story. He's quite an activist. He wasn't just an academic. But once he got his PhD, he really never got any positions academically. 
because of his politics. And yet his politics are so brilliant. And he's such a great expositor. He, he reaches people without deferring, without patronizing. He yeah. speaks directly to them in a language that people understand. And his understanding of Marxism is so clear. And so, yeah, I mean, I urge anyone listening, Google Michael Parenti. There are videos of him. He's a brilliant speaker. Watch him. Watch them all. I have friends that watch him over and over again. Instead of Humphrey Bogart, they watch Michael Parenti and read his books. Because even Julius Caesar, his book on Julius Caesar is a terrific book. So oh, I'm he's... happy to see these youngsters are reading Parenti. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, you could see, you could tell the Midwest Marks, they cut their teeth on them. They're, they're, that's for sure. And we were lucky enough to get his son on, uh, Christian Parenti, uh, who wrote an article, um, I think you sent it to me, The First Privilege Walk, which is kind of looking at the the beginnings of our political woke, um, you know, a con uh, politics. And he also wrote a book called Hamilton. So I, you know, read him. I liked, I liked him. I mean, I, I, I know you got a little, a little huffy puffy with him about something. I dis some disagreement mm -hmm. yeah. about, I don't know, something. I can't even remember what it well, was, but I, I, he's, I yeah, he I, is I truly. Because I, huh? I, I so, expect so much from him because of his father. And yeah. I didn't, I don't think I got from him. And that's not fair to hold him by that standards. But no, I thought his, uh, the uh, the uh, article that he wrote uh, featured er Erica Sherover, who was a uh, brief assistant professor at my graduate school. I went in philosophy. She was a uh, assistant professor who had to read a paper for tenure, and she was turned down. So I had familiarity with Sherover, and she was the basis of this cult-like whole thing that he identifies as one of the origins of of wokeism. And so I thought that part was very good. I'm not so interested in Hamilton and, and a, a rescue of Hamilton, which is essentially what I think his book does is try to make Hamilton into something he's not. But never, nevertheless, uh, it was a, it was an interesting and fun uh, podcast. And he recently was on uh, with um, Norm Finkelstein. He and Norm did a. I think I sent you a link to that, and he's. Yes. Uh, I'm really looking forward to his future future work. Uh, we had poets on. We had my sister. And a poet, Kevin Miller, and then another she's, friend. She's and the that talented was so part of your family. She's that's where all the talent went. To your she's, she's the well, you I she's she's smart lady, that's for sure. But what's so fun funny is that when I we had her on, I think she she didn't think that she was really a poet. And in <laughs> the subsequent couple of years, she's writing and publishing, and now she knows she's a poet. That's exciting. That's really exciting. And, and Kevin can we, Miller. Can we take credit? Can we take credit for giving her? Some, I don't know. The both both those guys are. I I could have them on every other week. They're just are. It just amazes me when I have them on how powerful poetry is in in shaping people's thoughts and and putting them in the right way. I'd rather have poetry than religion any day. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Well, uh, that's not my muse, but I agree. I'd rather have that than uh, than uh, than religion. I, I I'm an admirer of Bertolt Brecht and his poetry. I'm an admirer of uh, Pablo Neruda and a few others, but they're driven by my politics. So what can I say? I'm really not a I'm, I'm a bit of a uh, ignorant ignoramus when it comes to poetry. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having them on. Yeah, we should have them on again. I, they were wonderful. 
hey, you turned me on to this guy, a number in our podcast number 11. And sure. that was Gowans, Stephen yeah. Gowans. And a we've brilliant, had a brilliant mind, really a brilliant mind. Not well known, but brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So how did you how did you know him? He's a blogger out of Canada, right? Actually, when I started blogging maybe 20 years ago, we got in a pissing match, which I'd sort of forgotten about, but he uh, took me to task over something. He was wrong, of course, and I was right. But anyway, but I remember how intelligent, you know, I always remembered that. And then I started reading some of his stuff and it really is very, very close to my thinking on so many issues. And uh, I see him as a kindred spirit. He's very articulate. I don't think he has all the academic credentials maybe that some of the others had, but as in terms of being a brilliant mind and being incisive and deep, he is that. And, uh, the, the irony is that uh, he was arguing, which I totally agreed with, that Israel was kind of like the policeman of the Middle West for the United States. And I think he's absolutely right. But when you look at it today, in retrospect, the tail is wagging the dog. I mean, right. Biden sending people over begging Netanyahu, don't kill all these people. It's going to make me lose the election. Don't kill all these people. Internationally, we're losing ground. We were losing Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera. But the bloodlust is there. They just continue to kill. But well, I'm sure his... that if we had Stephen on again, he would agree. I, I I was uh, at the gym uh, and every couple of days I'll just do walk three or four miles and put my headphones on. And I re-listened to his Israel Beachhead in the Middle East, uh, which was episode 11. He, he's right on the money. And then oh, yeah. saying that this is kind of, uh, there are policemen in this area. They're making sure that our interests are being taken care of. And now you're you're right in a way they're now dictating to us as opposed to. Yeah, well, it's, it's just a moment. That's Netanyahu, that's particular that particular regime in Israel. They don't right. care. I mean, they're driven by, again, it's a theocratic regime. They're driven by the Bible. I mean, that's, it's right. uh, scary. I can't, I have to admit, I have to mention my good friend, uh, Haas Howittle. And, yes, all, yes. and also my good friend, Jim Painter. One is uh, Jim Painter is my high school buddy that was a newspaper guy that we had on to look at the, at From the Arizona? press. Arizona? Wrong. Was it, he's, he was in Arizona? He's in Arizona. Right now he's on, um, he's, he's publishing on Facebook a picture a day of all the photographs that he took when he was a newspaper reporter. And they are just phenomenal pictures of you know, Barry Goldwater and all of the <laughs> migrant workers. And this is done with a camera. You know, he's it, he's flying yeah. in crop duster planes. So he, I thought he was uh, really foundationally set the stage for what's going on, what's right and wrong with the media, because he's seen the demise of it. And then my good friend Haas, I, you know, I don't know. I, Haas probably votes Republican more than not. Maybe. And he's and I swear when we sit and chat and talk and share books, we agree ninety percent of the time. He, you know, he lives in the Midwest. He's smart as hell, a real good World War II historian. And we had him on number thirteen, exterminate all the brutes. We uh, we were looking at the colonialism that uh, occurred with uh, that. And I think we had him on also to talk about the Union and Betzimer. I uh, forget. Yeah, Amazon. we had him Amazon. on uh, episode number six where we were talking about the union vote and and bets bets. So. You know, your your uh, fellow liberals, I mean, folks that belong to book clubs and go to cocktail parties, 
they would benefit from having the experiences sitting down with someone like him because they'll find that he's very intelligent, which he is, very uh, thoughtful, which he is, um, and he has the point of view, which he does. Right. And they would benefit rather than dismissing everyone to the right of um, who? Uh, of, 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 uh, of, of Trump, I guess. Everyone to, right. and everyone to the right of Biden. They should listen. They should have a conversation. They should talk. Right. Uh, there, there's a point of view, a perspective. Often it's one that they benefit from hearing. Right. Hey, you turned me on to a couple of people. Uh, we always talk about this the ah, long deep grudge remember. because we give out a we give out a button to our guest that is uh, from the union that she talks about in that in that particular book and that is Tony Gilpin. But there's a series of these people that we've had on. You you had us on with the uh, uh, that are write about the history of the Communist Party or socialist movements back in the 30s, 40s. Uh, Roger Karen, number episode number uh, seven, the labor history of the Communist Party. He it was remarkable to see how important they were in shaping General Motors, shaping the unions. They were essentially the catalyst that uh, yes. pushed was, our. I, I had no idea about this history. If 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 my involvement does nothing else it would be to make two points and one is to to bring forth bring forward through these guests the the real history of the labor movement and the real history of the black liberation movement and of course to to to, to understand that fully you've got to take your cold war blinders off and understand the role in the 30s and 40s and into, even into the 50s of the communist party if you don't do that you're dishonest and I think all the guests that we had on that discussed uh, discussed jazz and 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 African Americans, that discussed uh, uh, Henry Winston, that discussed uh, any right. Of that those, was that uh, was episode nineteen. Tony uh, Tony Gilpin, with Henry Winston. I didn't I didn't know who Paul Robeson was. I I don't but, know but, any but, of these people. Right. And what, what, I, what I want people to understand is they want to understand their history. If they want their history to be meaningful and direct them forward, they've got to understand that role. You can, you can criticize it. You can say there were bad people or Stalin or what even ran rave, but please understand the leadership that was supplied by the Communist Party. The Communist Party, and I think it was 19, late 20s, held a public trial to expel a member because of a racist incident in the 20s. They did it on purpose. They did it publicly because they wanted to send a message about who they were and what they believed in, which led the country in essence. You can't, you can't put a, 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 a number on the effects of, of that kind of an event. That's a small thing, the Scottsboro boys and so on. So our leaders would like us to think the civil rights movement began with Rosa Parks, with Martin Luther King. It didn't. Paul Robes and Du Bois, all and, and curiously, they all associated with the Communist Party. The great figures prior to that, all is because the Communist Party was the only political organization that had the guts to press those agendas for unionization and for the rights of black people. And that has to be respected. 
And that's why I pushed hard to have guests that could explain that on, on our podcast. And Roger Karen did the UAW, you know, the same UAW now that's pulling itself out of an incredible hole that it put itself in after anti-communism and McCarthyism and the Ruther uh, administration. They weren't there. They were much, they were where they want to be back in the 20s and 30s, back in the 30s. So these are all great lessons, I think, for people to understand. And I, just to jump around a little bit, I remember we asked Roger Karen, that was episode number seven, have you ever been um, discriminated or harmed because you wrote so much about the Communist Party? And, and he said, yes, you know, he, he, and we had the same thing happen with Finkelstein, you know, got purged. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened with uh, Tony Matero, got, you know, yeah. purged. Uh, a lot of these academics um, paid a price for trying to write about, just write about these topics, the, the, the topics themselves. Well, you know, yeah, to me, that's a measuring stick. If you're, if you're, if you're an academic, you better prove yourself by, by pissing people off. One of our guests, who I thought at the time was one of our better guests, one of our best guests was Walter Johnson. I don't know a damn thing about him, but his uh, his book was was uh, extraordinary, a real eye-opener for me. And that's one that you came up with and I love. Well, he's on the firing line right now. That's the character of the man. The respect you draw from that book and from what he where he stood when he was on our podcast, I thought, this guy's special. And now at Harvard, He's the guy that's out in the yard telling people this is McCarthyism, what's going on right. with this attempt to shut people up because they're defending the rights of Palestinians. So, you know, it, it kind of teaches you what happens if you are do have integrity, if you do have fight, if you do have spirit and spunk, you're going to be pushed out. You're going to be pushed right. outward. Now, he's still at Harvard, but he's still he, he is a remarkable a, a, a remarkable historian when you look at his credentials and what he's written and that gets to this the process of how we go through this either i usually will read a book and then i'll chat with you and you know you'll get it on kindle or whatever and and then we'll send the invitation out and there's a lot of people that we've sent out invitations to that haven't haven't come through i mean you know i'm no. looking at white uh white malice that thick book about africa i you know we it's a variable reinforcement schedule but when occasionally when they'll say yeah we'll be on the show it's just like yes this is you know it, it just it's just such a treat to read something that you value and respect so much and then have that person come on and respectfully give you an hour of uh, the deep dive into what they did. And that was the yeah, way, yeah. that's the, the way Walter was. Walter Johnson was yeah. remarkable. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good. And that was your find. And uh, look at the Europeans we've got. We've got some top-notch Europeans that have been on the show. We had to set schedules up to fit their time. We had Tariq, Tariq Ali. Tariq Ali was, was, was very, very busy intellectual and quite good. You know, we had uh, Desayas who was terrific. We had Professor Moncrief, who was one of the best ones I think we've done. I think her work is earth-shaking, though it's not really had the impact it, it, it should have. Stop right so, there. She was, the, she was the psychiatrist that you came across an article, an obscure article posted in some 
Jacobin or something about Marxist theory related to mental health and depression. And, and uh, right. she is a critic of the overuse of um, antidepressants. One out of 20, one, one out of four people in, in um, England are on some kind of antidepressant. And she wrote this very obscure article in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry that that said, I, I'm not necessarily against prescribing antidepressants, but there is a relationship between these pharmaceutical companies and our, our society's malaise, and we don't look at the roots of what is causing the depression. We just say there's a pill for that. And I have followed her in a couple of recent lectures, and she's on fire. I mean, she is she is is going through still still professing that we need to put a a governor on these pharmaceutical companies for how they how they approach this. She was remarkable. Yeah, I thought so. And 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 to to you know, her Marxism came through in a subtle way. But right behind it all was this incredible research that she did, showing that. In fact, when you did a overall study of the effect of these of these drugs, they were not effective. It challenged their effectiveness. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. So she was saying, look, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying they don't do you any good. Right. And that got her really the publicity that she uh, that she uh, subsequently got. I, I was really impressed with her. She was she was quite good. And yeah. And, and she was attacked. She was attacked by oh, all yeah. the media. For... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about, about this. About... Yeah, I got one for you. You sent me a book, Black Liberation and the Red Scare. Was that Winston? Who was that? Uh... No, that was uh, Ben Davis. Our... Ben Davis. Yeah, Ben Davis. That was in uh, the Communist Gerald Party. Horn. And I wrote this professor, Gerald Horn, and said, you know, would you mind being on our show? I read your book. I didn't know who this guy was. Is it an understatement to say that Gerald Horn is one of the coolest people you've ever met in your life? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, is. He, he truly is. He truly is. And I didn't realize that he, you know, he is considered one of our most prominent um, historians on black black history. Uh, the, the 1619 Project was a ripoff of some of his work. Um, he's a, he writes a book, a, a book a year and he did the uh, number 17. He also did jazz and justice where he was the history of jazz. He was kind enough to come back and, and talk about that. Um, he, he, I, 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 I am at a loss for word about how much I respect this man. He's just remarkable. Yeah. And, and he's a tenured professor. So he's secure. He's an academic written i mean literally dozens and dozens of books uh he he is not afraid of marxism he defends the communists like ben davis like paul robeson many others african american communists in particular over and over again i mean he has the definitive works most of which is neglected and ignored the one piece he did um the one book he did which fed into the 1619 new york times article is probably the most controversial and probably the one that the left has been the most critical of. In fact, our friend Garrido and, and Eddie uh, are strongly opposed to 
the position he took. But isn't it curious, all these incredible books he's written, which expose and explore themes that nobody else is writing about, get neglected and ignored. They don't get reviewed in the New York Times uh, uh, book review, New York Review of Books, even the London Review of Books, just ignored. And they're brilliant books. But that one book is the one that kept their imagination, the one that's the most, in my view, uh, it's a little tricky. It's a little, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold on it. Right. But once again, it kind of shows the plight of uh, Marxist uh, academics. I mean, if they're if they're like Zizek, if you're acclaimed as a Marxist, you're a shit bum Marxist, and he right. is a shit bum Marxist, you know. And so you can go through the whole list. The further they are, the more prominent they are, the further they are from being authentic Marxist. And that's, who's that? He wrote an article that. about that with who was the guy that with the Bajek or the Zizek? Zizek. Zizek. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce. It. Don't worry, I don't know how to pronounce it either. I just I, I, that was uh, that was. I don't really a, care. That it's was a quite a quite a bitch slapping uh, article. I I, well, I, I didn't. Had, I mean, the guy Gabriel Rock Rockhill. I'd love to get on here. I think you wrote to him. I wrote to him. He hasn't uh, joined us, but. Uh, he wrote a really a, a very strong piece that uh, on the guy and on the Frankfurt School and some other. Um... So let, let's talk about what fun we've had uh, just reading interesting articles and then having people come on and talk about the article. We did a article on Moms for Liberty, uh, number 55, with Walter Bragman. We did an article on The Big Lie with Anthony Conright, who was uh, talking about the... Um, September, you know, I mean, the, the January the 6th, we talked about uh, Salon Investigative, the War on Public Schools, number 39 with Catherine Jones. These are just, we just, the Proud Boys, we are the Proud Boys with Andy Campbell. Those are fun. Those are fun. They just, they write an article, well, they, they come they on, they're all my, good. They fall into my uh, how the category, how the right did this or how the right did that. My criticism is they're virtually all journalists, which is nothing wrong with being a journalist. Uh, and they don't, they pretend to be neutral German journalists, but they're a liberal journalist. That's fine. But when you get them, they've really written an article or they've made a living off of Rolling Stone or somebody who's sponsored them when they wrote articles. And they say, ah, I've got enough now for a book. And they puff a book up. And they don't get you anywhere other than you click your tongue and say, look how horrible the Proud Boys are. Well, before the Proud Boys was the KKK, was the John Birch Society, and on and on and on and on. The 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 right is nothing new to this country. Back to the know nothings. It's always a feature, and it always will be a feature when you have a kind of two party system we have. They 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 pull people out on the left. They pull people out on the right, and that's that's just the reality of it. So yeah, they're they're fun. But where do they take you, Pat? Where do they take oh, you? Oh, geez, you're you're such a grouchy old. Part. Oh, yeah. I like oh, them. Yeah. I thought that the Bragman's work on the Moms for Liberty was before anybody was talking about this. Now, of course, they're doing, you know, they're doing menage de trois. I mean, they're they're kind of, you know, in the news. And uh well, he, yeah, and was... he's a good, he's a good reporter. I subscribe to his blog. Uh, he, he did he did a, a new uh, article just uh, last week about all of these conservative money is being funneled into these uh, investment portfolios, Vanguard, so forth, that are then specifically directed to certain causes to for the 
you know, the the right wing. And it's just a way of masking this huge amount, great, uh, huge amount of money, great investigative reporting. I don't know. I, you're, well, I mean, we, we give, give these guys, like, these guys are trying. We had uh, uh, Suzanne Gordon on about the VA. Yes. Well, it was reportage. It was reportage. This is what's going on at the VA. What I appreciated about it was it was a bit of an expose. No one's listening to that. Everyone right. wants to believe the VA is uh, uh, terrible. It, it doesn't function. It's no good. Uh, it's not giving vets their due. That's why we need, what's that crazy fundraising uh, uh, veterans group with the country and Western singer with the big gravelly voice? You know, get yourself. The VA is an incredible, incredible healthcare system that's being suffocated, being strangled. And she talked about that and no one else is. So uh, I was happy to have reportage there because it's something no one's, but everybody knows about. The, the right wing uh, millionaires send their money and direct it in a certain way. Right. They did that. Coors, the Coors Beer Company was one of the foundational um, um Funders, corporate funders of the right wing for 50 years ago, 60 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. That's not new. And the liberals have theirs. They have the George Soros and they have the other. Uh, so so this is capitalism. So right. show me something new. I mean, don't just tell me something I already know. Well, that, you just, that, you, some of you're, you're proving your point. I didn't know anything about Susan Gordon. I thought the V was bad, bureaucratic, problematic. And I completely changed my mind after reading her book. And I have so much passion for my friends that have gone through the Vietnam War that are still to this day, many, many suffering. Um, and the fact that they that they can get they all get good care at the at the VA. And that brings me to friend of our show, Bill Earhart, who has spent his life fighting for veterans fighting for um support for this the, the, his brothers he was a marine vet marine went into vietnam at 17 uh, exposed to a lot of uh, horrible things and is the prominent american poet on veterans uh, on veterans and on trauma of war well you know what i appreciate about him is that he's pointing people to the evils of war Right. Uh, I mean, he's he's, he's uh, Smedley Butler is his idol. I mean, he idolizes. Right. Uh, War is a racket. Number forty nine. He was that was. He, yeah. He, he's he's he deserves to be idolized. I mean, that's kind of character. Here's a guy that won two congressional medals of honor. One of I think two or three people that have done that. One one it's a shaky one, but he he legitimately won it, and he was a marine and he did and he says I was I was basically you know a dupe for the State Department for U.S. foreign policy to go and put down rebellions in different places. And he had such great esteem, and this is Butler. And I think this this sort of spills over into our friend. I mean, he, he kind of, he's kind of a surrogate for his, for him and his cause. His poetry, his work, his discussion is an expression of what Smedley Butler, he thinks, and I think he's right, Smedley Butler would be saying today. And, and that's why I appreciate him. Yeah, he's, he's unreal. Hey, we need to just do a hit a couple more. We can't go. I just I'm looking through to our list and God, I just so many good people that we've had on. Uh, probably one that was 
I was so excited about having them on uh, was Norm Finkelstein. He was talking about burn that bridge when we get to it, which was the kind of an extension of uh, beating up on Kindy and D'Angelo and all of that sort of idiocy. Man, was he, what, he was fun. We got probably seven, 8,000 hits from his podcast. Soon as the book comes out, then Gaza happens. Yeah. And he is our leading academic on Gaza, and he slowly is being drawn into the public because of his opinion about about uh, Gaza. And it's it overshadowed his book. Now he's he's on all the media and is the voice, the reasonable voice of Gaza. Just tell me how cool Norman Finkelstein oh, he's, is. He's, 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 a, he's the best. He, again, he was blacklisted. I mean, he, he was a right. person. He wrote a book, I don't know, 10, 15, 20. I still have a copy of, of it from that era. Uh, about uh, Israel and about what it is, the kind of apartheid state that it is, expose of it. And, and he was he was a thorn because his parents' history in the Holocaust. I mean, he, his family were victimized by, by uh, uh, Auschwitz, I think, and maybe at uh, Buchenwald. And so it was difficult to put him down because, you know, he, oh, he's, 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 he's either not Jewish, he is Jewish. He doesn't understand. Oh, he does understand. But he struggled along and, and he was ostracized and couldn't get speaking engagements and so on. And we caught him on kind of on a rebound early on. Now he's rebounded enormously. Big he is time. the go-to person. If go you want to. to talk about it, Scott, and in my image, having spent a lot of time in a university, having the opportunity to be an undergraduate and a graduate student, being around a lot of professors, some very good ones, that's my ideal of, a, of an academic. When he was on our show, he would quote Du Bois. He would quote Robeson, and it just spilled out. And it would, and is, and everything is an argument. It's not just PRBS. It's an argument, and you have to follow the argument. You can't be, you can't just sit there and say, "Oh, you know, I like this guy. I like his personality." No, you got to follow the argument. It's there. Right. Yeah, just, just a terrific, terrific uh, person. I'm so glad we had him on. We had a chance to have him oh, on. Oh, yeah. Um, the other guy, you know, I, 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 bit, I was I, I was reflecting on something before about you and I and our differences, and I think I, my my main thing is ideas. I mean, I like the way ideas clash. I like the way ideas are brought forth. I like to see ideas that were buried come forward and so on. You're you you like personalities. I mean, you've enjoyed the people. I mean, you've enjoyed who they were and getting to know them. Okay, Strong men, Ruth Ben yeah, yeah. I love her. I like her, Greg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I I meetings. I listen I to her. I I just love her. And you you, look, look God, God, you ended up Strong almost man. yeah, you Strong. yelled at what, her. What what ideological what ideological weight can you put on the concept of strongman? Oh, Greg, now either that. either you don't know anything better than strongman to describe the world we live in, or you do that because you think we're all dumb. And you've got no, to say Greg, see this is this is perfect perfect uh example uh, i i i think she's wonderful she's doing great work she's educating people she's saying this what is she these educating are educating the... them about other than anti-trump what is she well that, that we are uh, I, I if you look at the world and let's let's just kind of transition to where we are now 
we are you sent me an article before we started uh talking about how um young people are going to vote for for trump, trump because they're so pissed off trump is going to probably be our next president looks that way and if that occurs there are going to be changes and that's what she studied mussolini she studied all of these people that come in all over the world and she lays out what's going to happen Man, I've studied him. That's that's what I resent. It's, I've studied him. I'm not. I didn't write books about him, but I've studied him. It's a superficial picture of who they were. Now, there's been many superficial pictures. They don't understand the, the essence of fascism. You know, it's the same thing as today. What you have to ask yourself is why in 1922, 23, in Italy, this new phenomena emerges. What is the Italian history? What's the history behind that in Italy? Italy was a young country. It, 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 they still weren't pulling things together and all the attempts to make a unified government were failing, leaving people out. There was anger everywhere. And so here's Mussolini, who's at a socialist party. He suddenly discovers there's a new way to go. I'm going to switch gears after World War II, after World War I, I'm going to switch gears and go. You know, there's that history. That's what you draw, not superficial parallels. Well, you know, all the different fascist organizations were against free speech. Well, the friggin' Democrats are against free speech. They're making every effort today to look at Matt Taibbi. Yeah, Matt I mean, Taibbi. They, they, they're trying to kill him. Yeah. So, I mean, come on, don't give me superficiality and present, present it as though it's profound. Well, you're wrong about that. Let's change the subject. Um, Can we talk about one person, which I think you're assiduously avoiding, and I'd like to talk about it. Who's and that's that? Freddie DeBoer. God, okay. I love Freddie. I, I know you love Freddie. And that you like the personality and you feel almost a fatherly thing towards him. The first I, thing he did, he's the first thing remarkable. he did, two things. Two things he did. The first thing he did, I was really disappointed in and not I'm angry about because it the was the cult of smart. That was episode 22. Revisiting, revisiting a notion that, that in the 60s and 70s came forward and was smashed by most of the left in terms of suggesting that people have inherent abilities and they're limited by those abilities to certain categories. What Freddie wanted to do is say, well, it's nothing wrong with being a plumber. It should be, the job should be elevated. No, the, the idea, the notion that people are designated for these should be, but that's all I want to say. I was disappointed. The last time we had him on, I thought he was terrific. That's how uh, the elites, uh, how the elites, in the social justice yes, movement. Yes. Yeah. He's one of the few people that dares to take on the NGOs, the the uh, uh, nonprofits. These are a scourge on our politics. They're the people that are planting, are, are really essentially seeding and plant, seeding, planting and nourishing these ideas that we're all told we have to accept that are part of the way the world is today. And they're given to us and we're expected to, and, and, and Freddie did a nice job in his discussion of really chopping that up and attacking. He's not afraid of it. So uh, my estimation of Freddie is entirely different today, and I want to make that clear. I really enjoyed Well, I don't think you kind of got his original argument. Uh, and that, when he did that two years earlier, he was living in a little 900-square-foot, 600-square-foot place in Brooklyn and just Personality, like, personality. Yeah. That has nothing to do with anything, but anyway... Uh, you like but, personalities. Okay. Like All right. Ideas. So anyway, his his radical 
thought was that children have varying academic, intellectual, and capabilities, and that we never refute, we refuse to acknowledge that because that's a horrible thing to, to say. And that not everyone should be going to college. Not everyone should be. And I, 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 I look, 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 look. Now that's the that's wrong. That's wrong because what you should be saying is that everybody should be given a chance to develop whatever capabilities they have. I, I not agree. presume that they're going to be different. Presume that they're going to fall along a what do you call that curve? The uh, bell shape. L-shaped curve. Don't presume that. Let people develop their capabilities, which means that you have to go to this kind of society we live in and fix it before you make those judgments. But I don't want to, I'm so excited about the new Freddie DeBoer that I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> I think he's wrong and that's okay. You know, okay. I want to, I want to talk about, I want to talk about something. Uh, let's talk about uh, Gaza and our conflict there. Uh, in, in a, Foreign Affairs today, or no, two day, uh, the 14th, so a couple of days ago, they did how Israel, Hamas, the war in Gaza is changing Arab views. And they did a huge uh, survey with people in Tanzania, which is sort of the heartbeat of what the Arabs think about the uh, situation. Before uh, the October 7th, U.S. had a popularity of 40%. After October 7th, it went down to 10%. Before Biden was twenty nine percent, after six percent. Today, China has a favorable opinion of seventy five percent in this study, and Russia fifty three percent. So we really screwed the pooch by um, showing um, images after images of genocide occurring right now, and then. When you look at the CNN, they have a common theme that, well, we were going to have a two-state solution, but the uh, you know the Palestinians just kept turning it down, or we would we would want to negotiate, but there's no one to negotiate with. Um, we really want a two-state solution, but we just you know they're they're incapable of negotiating for that, and then people believe their don't believe their lying eyes that we're watching a genocide occur right now. Now with mass starvation, more more bombs dropped than the two atomic bombs, and we're turning the whole Arab world against us, probably now more so than we ever have I, I don't know what do you think how bad is it yeah it's that bad and worse <laughs> but, <laughs> but i gotta i gotta i gotta say i i kind of blame the american liberals for this because you know the same time they were harping on a wall there's a wall built between we're going to build a, the, the the trumpites want to build a wall between mexico and the u.s there's a wall in in israel there's a wall that palestinians had to walk through they had to walk through to go to their jobs and to walk back through these checkpoints on this wall. It's a massive wall. They they pretended they didn't know about that. They didn't know about it to their own fault. They pretended they didn't didn't know about the, the West Bank and the settlers that were encroaching, destroying villages, 
walking in, shooting people for, for just to get them out of there so they could take over that village and put their own settlement up. You know, and Obama was aware of it. Obama said, you got to stop doing it. But he didn't enforce it. He didn't do anything about it. So, you know, this is all going on forever. And then suddenly the seventh Hamas, which, you know, I don't have any truck with. I mean, they're, uh, they're again, they're a theological uh, bizarre kind of organization, but that's what the Palestinians have there. That's all they're allowed. They go and attack. So who would be surprised? Why was anyone surprised? And then, but what's surprising is the retaliation. My God, it's just awful. Just Unreal. awful. Relentless. Unreal. And, you know, people, and, and, and it's getting through because the major media, which will go soft in the articles, are posting pictures. Those pictures are working the way they've always worked, sometimes to the detriment of reality, but they're posting a picture of someone carrying a child who's dead and dust covered. They didn't get dust covered because they had the flu. They're dust covered because a bomb blew up. And oh, but don't you know that they notify everybody two hours before with a little yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you know they call people and text them, we're going to be bombing you? And, you know, this is the thing that bothers me the most is if you look at Israel, it's it's it has places that are equivalent to Manhattan. I mean, it has a, a tech sector, academic sector, Tel Aviv, liberal, uh, remar remarkable. Then, of course, you've got the crazy settlers in the West Bank that are, you know, uh, kind of uh, religious nuts. And then you have this horrible, distorted right-wing government now. But it's an eclectic, it's an eclectic group of people. When asked the question, do you think that we are bombing too much, it was like only... 12% of the population of Israel said, yeah, we're bombing too much. You know, that they, they, yeah. and at that point in time, I, I'm just going, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know. Um, just amazing. And that's, you know, so there you go. That's well, no, bad. but it, it's, it's like a process in this country. It's a process and they've got there. From the idealism, I mean, give give them give credit where credit's due. After World War II, there was an idealism. There was an idealism of going to a kibbutz, setting up a, a village, having socialist principles, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, there was a right wing element in among the Israelis, uh, you know, that was left over from Yablinsky, Yablinsky, Yobinsky, whatever his name, not Yablinsky, Yobinsky, and uh, and the. Uh, the Ergon, uh, you know, the 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 terrorists that were in the Israeli movements at the time. So you had these same tensions, and that idealism remained as a factor in Israel society. As Israelis, Labor Party was strong and so forth. But over time, this crazy theocratic right wingers took over, and people let it happen. Until now, we have a situation where Israel as a country is conducting just as we've conducted. In Vietnam, is if you would ask Americans, U.S. citizens in 1963 and 64 in a survey, only 12 percent would say what we're doing in Vietnam was wrong. Right, right. So You're why right. are you, you know, why be shocked about the, you know right. Israelis? Right. You're right. We got to that point with the Cold War, with all the anti-communism. Oh, they're going to take over all of East uh, East Asia. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's history. Hey, listen. We've been, going, we've been going on and on, and I want to I want to mention one thing um, 
before we go, and that is your writing. You write in um, MLK, um, MLK. Marxist Leninist Today, and it's also posted on your blog. I counted that you did about 21 blogs last year. Uh -huh. uh, and, uh, you know, I it's one of my the best emails I get is when your your new blog came out. You're, you're, you uh, and December 11th had one called The Age of Hypocrisy, Liberalism and Its Discontents, which is, in a way, a summary yeah. of a lot about what we're talking about about it's now drum. That, I, 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 dream, I beat that drum a lot yeah i do beat that drum a lot right and you know our ludicrous war on terrorism our our you know the, the problems of privacy the you know just dis, dysfunctional democracies not not things not being democratic uh um you know matt taibbi and greenwald being demonized by the left or the only liberals left they there's a handful not just those two but there's a handful of liberals in this country left Everybody else is in a tribe. Right. Pick your tribe and, you know, hey, I, I have friends that will, when they bring up Trump, they they would say things that appall me. They I could see someone assassinating him. I could see we should outlaw him. We should put him in jail. Don't you think he should have due process? Hell, I'm a, I'm a red. I'm not, I'm not sold on bourgeois democracy, but I believe people should have due process. But that's where the tribalism is taken over on, on right. both sides, all sides. Well, That's I'm going great. to link to your your blogs. Uh, they're, they're just so many of these are good. You did a great review on Finkelstein. You did a you did you know you took apart Angela Angela uh, White Fragility before it was <laughs> way back yeah, when I was early. I was early on that and on on your buddy uh, the senator from Ohio. What's his name? Uh, uh, the senator from Ohio that did uh, hillbilly elegy. Oh yeah, J.D. Vance. Yeah. So I anyway, a, I just uh, when you write these, how long does it take you to do one of your uh, essays? It's hard work. It really is hard work. I mean, life gets in the way, but I it because of her. Yeah, you, you talked about the climate climate crises. Um, you know, affirmative action. Uh, anyway, it they're always always interesting. I usually agree with you, and. Um, yeah, a lot of work goes into that. You can you can tell you spend it's well researched and you know. Well, I'm retired now. Like you, huh? I'm retired. So I'm retired. So I don't I don't play golf. I don't do any of the things that most uh, most people do. So I got time to write and read. And like you, I love to read. I mean, I, I'm yeah. jealous of my time to read. It's just a it's a passion. I, I know. I just a good book. Just um, I, I I'm now forcing myself to read um. um fiction uh, i just finished the new michael cunningham book who won, won the pulitzer for the hours which is just remarkable because i otherwise i just my mind is just constantly um you know doing politics and that's not good yeah. for me so hey let's quit <laughs> okay this, this has been fun yeah, we get, our next podcast is with uh, a psychiatrist who specializes in trauma uh -huh. christopher hedges says that she is one of the most prominent psychiatrist since freud and i'm wow. really looking forward to that's that be exciting yeah that'll be really exciting. and that's that'll in be... january that's that's, that's uh, in january and then january. I, I so you're going to be traveling going uh, back taking your sister back to illinois and i'm going to yeah, be yeah i'll be the rest of the wedding year, to... my son's getting married in columbia and so i've got to get oh, ready for right. that when is that when is that Pat? first of february oh, that's or what i have february my... 
that's when I have my knee surgery, so it's perfect timing. We'll I know. So here. we'll probably be disjointed here back and forth, and then we'll get back on the saddle and, uh, you know, go, right, go from there. Right, so, right, right. Good. hey, so. been fun. Good. Great. All right. Clap hey, your hands. Be done so we can talk for a minute. All right. <laughs>